0: Chaos could be H-I-I-T too many times and you get adrenal fatigue and you burn out and then you change direction in your life. It could mean that you have a heart attack. It could mean you have a stroke and then you realize you look at your lifestyle and think, man, I shouldn't have done that exercise session with the Navy SEAL on three hours sleep and hangover with all these other alpha males. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have made my work my hobby. I should have had something else in my life because when I retire well, what am I going to do now? I have no identity, and that's stressful. Having these crises may motivate you to have a look at your whole life and sort of maybe change direction or just modify what you're doing so that you can have longevity. So I go wellness and then strength and conditioning, which I call resilience training, and then peak performance, which is tweaking what they really need to do. But that can be the executive or the stay-at-home person who looks after the house, or it can be an elite athlete.
1: That's Ross Ethon, and you're listening to the Interested Podcast. I'm your host, Donna Edda. Interested is a result of my curiosity to explore more on our collective wellness wisdom, and that goes from physical to cognitive to emotional health to spirituality. This podcast is my attempt to bring nourishing conversations to help you live a higher quality, more fulfilling life. My guest this week is Ross Ethon, a performance trainer, international athlete, mentor, an author, and a recovering perfectionist. He competed in 10 world sports aerobics championships, played premier level rugby, completed not one, but two ultra marathons in the Sahara and Atacama deserts, practiced Qigong, studied yoga, was a sailing instructor, competed in three CrossFit opens, just to name a few. As a trainer, Ross coaches clients from corporate executives to Olympic athletes. He is the author of three books, Rome, Movement as Medicine, The Bottom Line of Fat Loss, and How to Calm Your Mind. In our conversation, we discussed goal setting and injury prevention, the myth of cardio, and how tracking your perceived exertion and heart rate variability helps you train smarter. We also dived into posture, resilience, and the importance of recovery. He lives and breathes movement and is here to share his passion and wealth of knowledge on how to enjoy regular exercise and love your life. There is so much to unravel in our conversation, so without further ado, I give you Ross Ethan.
0: Most people think fitness is high-intensity interval training. And high-intensity interval training gives you a rate of perceived exertion, let's say out of 10 is like going to vomit i'll probably eight and eight to ten and the body can't sustain that day in day out a uh, week in week out four months you will absolutely burn out doing that because your adrenals don't have time to recover so th- sometimes the fittest people the the athletes in the world are not the healthiest people or not the most well people At all But they look good They look good on the beach And all the glossy magazines promote that All Instagram famous people promote that But it's just not true
1: What are the symptoms of a non-healthy fit person?
0: Oh, the irritable Amongst their closest friends and family I think that would be one symptom of it And then be lack of sleep for sure That's the most important one Then they'll probably increase their uh, caffeine. They'll probably start adding sugar to their caffeine, adding more sugar, vending machine, sweets and stuff like that. And then they'll get to a point where they want to actually also have salt. So the salt is your your adrenal system saying, because the adrenals help regulate salt. So you'd be be searching for that type of food, like salt and vinegar chips, which is my kryptonite.
1: Well, you experienced adrenal fatigue yourself. Would you like to share your story?
0: Yeah, well, this is, this is everything you, that you can do wrong in terms of being an athlete, top of your game fitness-wise, uh, but trashing your body and trashing your mind, all of these things, well, I have done. <laughs> I was in Africa. I was working at a health resort called um, Wild Fitness, and the lady that I was with, I was just working with, without giving it away because she's working with one of the most famous people in the world, and she was the can do, I can do this and get get all these things done, and uh, but she was an introvert and she had to be an extrovert, so and she'd tried all these aspects to lose weight, so she's got bigger and bigger and bigger, and this is in two thousand, and I was describing all these things about um, stress, and it was two thousand, it was it was about the time where cortisol was coming out as as a thing, uh, so it's twenty years ago. So I was reading that and I was researching that. Prior to the consult with her, and I was thinking, "Shit, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me." Holy shit! I had adrenal fatigue, and I didn't realize it. And this was two years after I I, did, I burnt out. I looked at the, my life, so I think, okay, well, I was overtraining. Uh, so I was training like four times a day, but some, but I'd also include cardio. I would do weight training, I would do choreography. But that's at Sport Aerobics, that video that I showed you. Yeah, oh, that was crazy. It's great to be able to go to you know 10 world championships and represent New Zealand and train like an elite athlete or professional athlete, or semi-professional. So I was doing all of that sort of training. And then because I hadn't got the results that i wanted to get like i wanted to be in the top 12 in the world and the best i got was 16th in the world you train harder this is the natural way so you train harder not necessarily smarter and i read recently it's not over training it's under recovery okay so i was getting massage once a week luckily i was sponsored by a massage therapist giving me massage i was still having jacuzzi uh, after training I uh, wasn't doing that much stretching because i was pretty flexible that was the strength of me. In gymnastics, in New Zealand, they used to call me Mr. Flexibility, even in gymnastics. So I didn't spend a lot of time de-taking the tension out of my body with stretching. And I did a period of one year I got addicted to competing, and I did about 13 competitions in a year. And two of them I did the silly diet where you don't eat carbs after six and all that sort of stuff. How did that go for you? Uh, Well, you actually get addicted well, you get a high from starving yourself, which is pretty dangerous because I think starving yourself is the number one stress. I'm quite happy to argue that's the number one stress which has caused evolution mm-hmm. because you, you need to move to get food or move to get a, stop being food. But I did win a world title at well, World Mr. Fitness in 2000. So I did that and I did all these other competitions because you sort of get, oh, I'm going to go and do this, I'm going to do some winning because I hadn't been winning in the sport aerobics but I was winning in the Mister fitness and the sort of bodybuilding world. So you see you get caught up in it, but at the same time you're not recovering enough and you really need from like a world championship, you should really sort of take about three months. I found that when I did a world title that you build up for, not a world world championship, you build up for, so emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, you build up for it. If I took a week or two just traveling around the country that I was going to, um, or lying on the sun for a couple of days doing nothing, and not being athlete, just being me, uh, I was fine when I come back to New Zealand. But a couple of times you'd have a world title, then you come back to national titles, like straight away. i get sick, I'd get the flu. Of course it was in winter, but you'd just get sick. You're building yourself up so much, that as soon as that, that post-traumatic stress of a competition goes, your body goes, all right, okay, now you're paying for all of that. Boom, the immune system hits you and you get sick. And it's quite common. I wasn't sleeping very well, and that's the number one aspect. I call it the number one nutrient for recovery. I lived on a busy road, and the the windows are really thin, so the cars were going past. It wouldn't die down to about eleven, but then at two a.m., little boy races used to drive past. So I'd be waking up, you know, So I'd be going to bed at eleven-ish. Undis- I'd have disturbed sleep, and then I'd be getting up at six o'clock for my first client, personal training client at six thirty. So the sleep wasn't good. And then the nutrition, you have the protein bars because you've got a short amount of time to digest before your own training and before the next client. So you'd have some protein bars, so processed, highly processed food, uh, or you'd go to a fast food restaurant which had a breakfast special. I'm not going to mention their (laughs) names at all. I don't go there anymore. Uh, And then I had, because I was always in debt for paying on my credit card to go to these competitions, you have that financial stress. Um, so, you know, sometimes I was eating popcorn or corn fritters and even sometimes my parents would come, come along with a meal, you know, because they knew that that's <laughs> kind of what I was eating. So, you know, financial, all, all of these stresses so far and then have girlfriend stress as well. Uh, so all of those things, I'm not even sure I've touched on all of, oh, over, overworking too many, uh, too many pie, too many fingers and too many pies, too many gyms. I was lecturing at a polytechnic. Uh, which wasn't which I had to study to and prepare the lecture and then give the lecture, and then that's enough for anyone to burn out. But I don't think it's too dissimilar to what people are doing you know over in central just over here or that lady that I was talking about in in Africa. So when I realised that, I thought, oh, I'm going to study this a little bit more.
1: In your personal experience, how did you recover from that adrenal fatigue?
0: My my, my grandmother died and she left some money. My parents decided, well, I'll take everybody to Rarotonga for a family holiday. And I was thinking, oh, man, I can't relax and I can't relate to my family. You know, what sort of person am I? I don't have any balance in my life. You know, there's a bit, uh, people talk about work-life balance, you know. It's impossible. Like I said before, only statues can balance. Wellness is the ability to adapt to all the stresses." Uh, so I realized, oh, man, I haven't got any balance. And prior to that, I'd, I'd, I'd answered uh, this forum that I was, off, I was on for a head trainer to a, to a facility, a fitness resort in Africa and Kenya. And I wrote to this lady and says, oh, you would be interested. I'm, I can't do it quite now. I'm the national coach of the New Zealand sport aerobics team. We're going to Lithuania for world champs. But I decided, you know what? my life is out of balance. I need to find some balance. I'm going to ring this lady up and see if that job is still available. So that's what it is. So it was a pretty drastic move just to quit. I had a pretty successful personal training business. And I, was in, I was on national TV a few times in a few of the, the national fitness magazines and that sort of stuff. So you know, I was training a few celebrities. I was training the national uh, goalkeeper for, the, for New Zealand All Whites, I was training the uh, New Zealand cricket captain, Stephen Fleming. And so I sort of gave it all up to go to Africa. So when I was there, I thought, okay, well, it took about two weeks to drop the, you know, you have the persona or you have the inhibitions of the city. Well, there's massive ones in this city as well. And I come from little old Wellington, 300,000 people. So you can drop them and then then you just relax. You've got nice sleep. You've got great food. Uh, you know that the people are going to turn up. You know they're going to pay you because... Uh, they've already paid, so all of these things, and you really make an impact with people. But it's also an impact for yourself. You can just go. Oh, I don't need to strive to win, to be perfect. All I need to do is X, Y, Z. And that was like running in the morning in the bush, swimming in the in the sea, going um, snorkeling with all this wonderful tropical fish, uh, teaching a few Swiss ball classes, teaching about posture, teaching about hydration, all all of these things. And you can really make an impact with people. So, but it made an impact with me, you know, the sunlight as well, vitamin D. So when I came back, you know, I was a little bit mellow because I wasn't striving for anything. So I took a big break.
1: Well, this is a great segue for you to share your knowledge on how our listeners can apply what you've learned to their wellness journey. One of the biggest question is a training program. I think I recently told you that I started doing this interval running and measuring my heart rate. Can you expand on that? Does it really work? Does it matter? Well, I'll say yes and no.
0: <laughs> the heart rate, like I'm, I'm, I've used heart rate uh, for a period of time and then I say, oh, I don't need I know what my heart is. Like when I was training for the ultra marathons, I was training for my heart rate for the first one. i being really technical and left brain logical stuff and you know listening to ear uh, audio books to maximize my time when I'm doing it but I found I found if I was concentrating my heart rate audio books and the trail I couldn't concentrate all of them because I'd fall over if I was listening and if I was watching the trail I wasn't listening just too much but then then you go away from that uh, so when I trained for the Atacama one I didn't use a heart rate I was like okay, I'll just be zen with the trail but at the end, you've got to know, well, I've got, I've got seven days of running. I need to know how to pace myself. So I put the heart rate monitor back on and become technical and worked out the pace. So I think you can be zen and not have it. And you can go with your rate of perceived exertion. So where you say uh, a purposeful walk, it would be, say, a five out of 10. And window shopping would be like a three out of 10. And sprinting for a bus would be like 10, that you think you're going to miss is like a 10 out of 10. But just coming back to the heart rate monitor, I'm using it again and I use it with my athletes for sure. Especially with this heart rate variability, which I've been using with Rick So, the boxer since 2015, with someone who trained so much and so intensely, it's we can easily gauge, are you red? And red means you're nearly dead. So it's time to ease off now. And do some stretching some meditation some yoga qigong just relaxation or, or a long slow distance cardio which you measure with a heart rate so the, all these so I've got a garmin but there's other heart rates and they have different colored zones but it'll be zo- whatever it is be zone one so it'll be the lowest zone and you' not you wouldn't even really be puffing and then you can do that for a long period of time and that makes you cardiovascular system very efficient at delivering oxygen so that helps you recover I call that 1.0 and that's long slow distance it's recovery and it's really important to have a warm-up at that that level for five minutes or so and and then also a cool down at that period of time as well It just brings everything back down to sort of a homeostasis or normal and it starts your recovery process recovery is so important if you're going to do a lot of exercise then there's the second second zone, as you might be starting to puff. Uh, it's just in terms of just an easier way of describing that. It's just you're starting to puff, you might start to sweat a little bit. But you can still maintain some sort of conversation. So I call that 2.0. And you can also I think red, orange and green. So red is the long slow distance. So it's it, Some people think it's opposite the colour. Um, and then the orange is two sentences per breath and then go into the green, which I say green, good to go. You can do anything you want. This is this high intensity interval training that's been around for over, over 10 years now, I would say probably a little bit more. But that's when you, you can't really speak that intensity. And I think if you've got the heart rate monitor and you're looking at that, sometimes you want to flirt with the high intensity, but mostly you want to live in that, that low zone. So you want to mostly live in one zone, But you've got to go for it in terms of your time. So there's always a trade-off, frequency, intensity, type, and time. The heart rate monitor is good to monitor your exertion. Now, the higher you exert, the more recovery you need the next day. You need to progressively build your fitness to be able to get into the high, high zone. If you don't, you collapse. And there's a principle of reversibility and fitness means you lose your fitness at the rate that you gain it. Most people just go straight up here which means you lose it straight away you it's the what i call the rip shit and bust which is a new zealand expression so they go too hard because they say oh H I T G. the instagram person's doing h you know everyone's talking about that but you can't sustain it and you and you probably get injured for a start because people don't have the movement ability to do you know clean and jerks and snatches straight off the bat so the heart rate is definitely what I'm using with my elite athletes now, and I use HRV to to help monitor that. And I really recommend that would we'll, that people sort of look into it. A lot of watches are giving that data.
1: What is HRV? How do you measure that? Right.
0: So uh, HRV is heart rate variability. I, I use an uh, an app and a and a program called Morpheus. You you get this little strap and you put it around your wrist every morning, two and a half minute test, and it gives you. Um, an HIV score which is basically your overall out of 100 it gives you overall score a really good score is 80 to be honest
1: it's a vitality score
0: it's a vitality score would be a great word or resilience is a, is a, is a word that's popular right now and I quite like the word resilience so how much adversity can I throw at you um, before you either grow or you collapse so that gives you an HIV score I'm sort of pointing to the F in my mind <laughs> Uh, or a recovery score and the recovery score is either green which means for me you can do whatever I come up with or whatever you want you can, you can do an amber score which just means okay we need to give you a little bit more rest we're not going to do high level HIT we're not going to do one rep max stuff but we can do pretty much all but we, if we're looking at your heart rate while you're doing it we just don't want you to go up to that top zone and if you're red which means absolutely not top zone maybe flirt a little bit with that second zone I was talking about. In fact, that's actually not a bad idea. Just flirt, just get there and then come back down. But it's stretching, it's calm, it's rest and digest, it's uh, all this relaxation type stuff.
1: What factors are used to calculate this score?
0: Ah, well, this is, this is something that, of course, the, the algorithm is worth the millions of dollars. And uh, I, I've had some games with some of my athletes the last couple of years trying to guess what the score, because you do an exercise session, and it'll give you a cost. Now, if you've done a recovery session, it'll give you a plus. So it'll add to your recovery score. And if you, but if you've done a, a stimulus or a development type lesson uh, or session, it'll give you a minus score. And so like a really, really tough score would be above 13, which you don't see very often. Although I saw a couple of my athletes did minus 22. Two days, two sessions in a day. And I thought, OK, for sure tomorrow you're going to be red. But he wasn't. So I thought, OK, dude, you're really fit. That's impressive keep it keep it up uh that was rick's rick so i'm okay i think we're okay to say rick so here i have a few athletes that do not want to be mentioned so it measures it measures your sleep hours so ask you this sleep hours it asks you uh what was your quality of sleep so the quality of sleep for me is easy to measure uh, did you sleep all the way through or did you wake up so undisturbed sleep it's easy uh, even if you get up at between 1 and 3 and go for a pee, that's not really that you need to go for a pee, it's your low blood sugars and you, you probably had too many carbohydrates before you went to bed. And 1 to 3 in Chinese medicine is liver. So it sort of matches up. And as one of the sort of little hobbies I have is matching up Western thought with the, the Eastern traditional Chinese medicine and, and also the chakra system of, of the yoga. So it's beyond coincidence. So it's sleep-sleep quality, uh, it's muscle soreness, so if you've done a hard workout and you've got muscle soreness everywhere, you give yourself a score, a subjective score. Overall, it gives you just how do you feel. Then there's looking at your heart, your heartbeat. Heart rate is the, the ECG. Yeah, normally, normally the heart rate, is this, you think it's the same, but when there's a variance between the beats, it, that means that the greater the variance between the beats, beat to beat, the more stressed your system is, the more para, uh, sorry, sympathetic it is, so it shows on your heart. And therefore, so that's part of the calculation, plus the subjective questions, plus, okay, this is what your heart's doing. You can't lie about that. So that's why you've got to do it first thing in the morning when you're the most calm anyway after sleep.
1: But what if you never get to a place where you feel really, really good? What if you're always in that rest level that you should not exert yourself? Uh,
0: well, that might become a bit frustrating if you're, say, under the age of 35 and think I should be doing HIT like everyone else in the park over here, but what will happen is, well, you'll get sick. And it might take three months, it might take three years, but your body just can't do it. But the person who is always in the red nearly dead, is what I think you're saying, they need to stop what they're doing and change direction a little bit. Now, that's really hard. For some people who are sort of focused on this is what I must do, it's like I know you need to do the opposite.
1: I guess it goes back to the goal setting that we talked about before. Let's expand on that because that is the fundamental piece to all of this, right? Why do we show up every day?
0: Yes, I've wrestled with goal setting. You know, I've done sports psychology in 1993 in my exercise science uh, qualificational course. They talk about then, and it's definitely what I teach my athletes now, is set performance goals. But you get to a point, like I said, I was addicted to competing and winning, you get addicted to thinking not performance, thinking outcome. Oh, I want to be in the top 12. Oh, I want to be in the top one. Or oh, if I win that, I get $1,000, you know, that, this sort of thing. And the problem is if you set those outcome goals so that the results goals or, or what I've read recently is the destination those destination goals, how much is that goal is in your control? So I'm going to enter the, um, the Atacama Ultramarathon, and in the Sahara one two years earlier, I got this, this position for 48 hours. Okay, well, I'm going to be faster, and so I'm going to aim for a top 10. But hold on a second. What about if all the top marathon runners from around the world, each country, was in that competition in your age group? You're going to come 100th or 200th and you're not going to be happy even if you ran faster. Winning is being happy with your performance even if someone does it better. So set performance goals which is the journey not not the outcome goals. Now just to be real though I don't train to come second in anything I do and I don't train my athletes to come second in anything I do. So you need both outcome but focus on the performance goal. So how you execute something, everything that's in your control. Okay, I'm going to turn up to training and, and I'm going to do my best at training. So I'll follow the program. So that's uh, so I'll turn up to training, that's attendance. And then I'll do the training program as best I can and, and that's adherence. So as a personal trainer of you know 30 years, adherence or compliance is the hardest thing to get clients to do you could spend a lot of time goal setting with them. And so generally I'll go, okay, so, well, this is what I was taught when I was a gymnast, is like you, you set one huge, and they call it the big, hairy, bodacious goal. and That's quite a common expression. So you set a big one where you really have to jump really, really hard to get there. And then you'll set two or three sort of intermediate goals where you can jump and, and you'll get there pretty soon. And then the easy goals, I said set hundreds of them. Because every little goal that you get, you feel good. As long as you recognize it and you know, spend some time acknowledging that you just got that little goal, okay, I went to the gym today. For some people, that's really hard to do. And the next day, okay, I went to the gym and I got changed, okay? And then the next time I went to the gym, and got changed and I actually got on the treadmill. And then so on and so on like that. And you pat yourself on the back. So I record just about everything I do with all my clients in terms of reps and sets. So I had um, a client the other day, yesterday, We did a workout we hadn't done in three years. And I said, actually, you're fitter. I try and make my workouts also fitness tests plus volume plus workouts. So without actually trying to be better at that task, he he was better at it. Uh, So it's good to go back and have these little goals. And if you've written written them down, which is really important, um, is to clearly define them, write them down. And don't always have to date them, but it just gives you a little bit more impetus if it's dated but you gotta so how do you make that realistic uh and then that's a matter of how you prioritize it in your life as well so one huge goal of two or three sort of reasonable goals and then as many as you can little goals create a snowball and then an avalanche makes you feel good and keeps you motivated that's that's what i would subscribe to nowadays
1: and for those who are not working with a personal trainer I want you to share that story that you told me about the guy at the gym on the treadmill and he will show up every day Oh yes. and he just kept getting bigger.
0: Yes. That's the sort of the myth of cardio uh, for fat loss or weight loss. So there's many, you know, I've been in the fitness industry for 30 years. I worked in big gyms um, for the first 10 years. Now I'd, I don't work in big gyms. Now I go to them very seldom. Uh I, I noticed this um when I started reading about cortisol, uh, so it was 20 years ago now, and I'd and see some people uh who would be on the treadmill when I arrived in the gym, and then an hour later they're still on the treadmill. Okay, okay, so that's what they do, that's their exercise. And um and then you, you see them, and after about three months, you think, oh man, I, I swear they're getting bigger. <laughs> you know, and you think that's not the what the textbook says. The textbook says if you do 45 minutes three times a week, you're going to lose weight. You're going to get into the fat burning zone, which would be that level one zone. So you think, well, how can that be? It's not what the textbooks say. But then when I was reading into this cortisol, when, when you're doing all this cardiovascular training, and you see this with the ultramarathons and triathletes and all this sort of stuff, is that's like they're running from a, from a lion. So it would be a pretty stressful event. Your body registers this as a stressful event. And what that does, it preserves the glucose, which is the, one of the energy systems. A little bit, so you you hold on to it because you're stressed, because you're running from from you know running towards the running race, the finish line, beating our opponents, or you know I've got to do this to lose weight, you know because I've got a wedding to go to, or um, maybe my doctor said so, or you know or whatever. Uh, so the, so they don't actually lose weight in that regard. That's on one point. The second point is that after about six weeks of doing three times 45 minutes, your body gets efficient. Let's just say it costs me 100 calories per one kilometre for the first six weeks. But then I get efficient because I'm doing cardiovascular training, steady state cardiovascular training, which is about being efficient. But you're now taking 80 calories per one kilometre. But you think it's 100 calories. So if you do that calorie swap food for exercise myth, that's, that's why, because you got efficient. So it's six weeks, then you have to... So it's a law of diminishing returns. You've got to reinvent the product life cycle. It's where you do some of that HIT. But I would do it like three low slow distance level one and to one high intensity. Per week. Per week, yeah. But I also tell people, so every time you go to the gym and you're doing cardiovascular training, do something different. You could do the same time, Same intensity, but okay, on Monday do rowing, on Wednesday do treadmill, on Thursday do a spin class. So make yourself inefficient and that's actually a faster way. If you want to lose weight, you also get fitter, but you won't be fit enough to run a marathon. If you want to run a marathon, run three times a week.
1: I understand that people have different goals. Not everyone goes to the gym and run on a treadmill to lose weight. And I guess that's not the purpose of this conversation. It's really how to exercise efficiently to achieve the goal that you want?
0: So it comes down to, to purpose. So most of my clients come because they want to stay in shape um, or get in shape or be healthy. And I have, have one client who we trained and I was part of a team to train her to run the Chicago Marathon. So every year I ask them, okay, why, why are you here? Why are we training for? And she says, oh, you know what? I just want to drink beer and eat pizza. So there's a lot of people who have those goals, and I thought, well, so you don't actually care what you do. You're not trying to learn anything. She says, no, oh, no, not really. There's that aspect of training, uh, and then, so I might be training, like I train a dragon boat team. I train, train the Sea Gods dragon boat team uh, in a group, and I do it for about 20 weeks of the year, and I've done that since 2005, had a two-year break in the middle, what I do then as I train them, okay, what's the energy system? Right, well, it's two hundred and seventy meters long or two thousand meters long or a thousand meters long. And what are the movement patterns? Well, the movement patterns are a twist and a bend, you know, and a pull. This is a, and so okay, so I make sure, so I start to then focus the movement patterns into what's specific for what they do.
1: In the sense of the dragon boating team then, the big goal is to win the race. What are the performance goals during training?
0: Uh I would be happy that if you asked any of my dragon boat team that were in last year, where I actually coached them on water as well as the land training, that they could answer that for you. What they would say is this. Put the blade in the water, pull it back, take it out, put it back in the water again in time with everyone else. So it would be the simplest distillation of what they have to do, the task at hand. And that, that's what you focus on. It mean, well, it's
1: not about stronger quads or stronger backs. or. You definitely
0: need all that, but I'm not telling them at the start of the race, oh, I have strong quads. It's a late for that. I'm saying the most important aspect in dragon boating is being in time with everybody else. It doesn't matter if you've got really some really strong guys in the team or strong females in the team. If they're not in time, it doesn't matter. They're not going to win. So the performance, so, if you, so you think if you distill what you do, so if it's running, it's putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, that's the performance. That's the execution of the physical abilities. As opposed to, yeah, of course we want to win. But it's not in our control. What's in control is us putting the blade in the water with everyone else. So that's what, that's what performance is, and that's what I would say to every single athlete. Focus, try and distill into the smallest amount of words you, you can what the task at hand is, because when the shit hits the fan, when you're stressed out at a world championship or, or something, oh, I could win or, you know, I just need this place. Okay, be here now. So the All Black Rugby team, they say, be where your feet are. Wonderful. That's about presence. So the task at hand is being present. You're not thinking, oh, hopefully, hopefully we can win. I'm overcome with the butterflies. No. Take a deep breath, breathe out. And then what do I actually have to do? So with the Olympic sailors I'm training with, what I offer them is boat speed. That's their performance job. And then boat speed means a whole lot of different things. Keep the boat flat, sail by the woolies, trim the boat, these sort of things. You know, America Cup's going on right now.
1: What about, okay, I have a self-interest in this. I'm starting to learn to run. What would be the one thing you would say for a runner starting up?
0: I did ultramarathon in the Sahara Desert and that was a marathon a day for five days and then two it was actually 90ks in, the, in one day and you had 24 hours to do it at the same time that born to run book came out what i took away from from reading that born to run book is the mantra easy light smooth easy light smooth and what what it's what they said is easy light smooth equals fast you don't need to word the, hear the word fast, but um fast but easy, light, smooth was my mantra, or one of the mantras when I was running through the Atacama Desert and training for that. After after the Sahara, when I went to the Atacama, that would be my recommendation that you have. So you find a rhythm. Doesn't have to be those words. I had other ones as well. Be here now was one of them when I started to drift off. But I would do less as more as well.
1: What does that mean?
0: What that would mean is don't bite off more than you can chew. So rather than what most people do when they start fitness is they they rip shit and bust. So they start off with good intentions and they'll go too much too soon and then they'll get injured so they won't end up doing anything. They'll say, oh, I can't run, I'll get injured. So start off slow, go less than you think you can do, I always like people to do a time trial as well, though, so like a baseline. How
1: do you do a time trial?
0: There's a simple one is called a Cooper's test. You can do either a 1.5-mile test or a Cooper's test. It's 12 minutes, go as fast as you can or as far as you can in 12 minutes. And then that's your baseline. And then you want to improve. You can improve, measure improvement in about a month's time. And then you see, okay, I've gone up to 2.8. If I did 2.7 as my baseline, and did 2.8. Pat on my back, training's working.
1: I'm going to give that a go. Can you explain to the audience what is VO2max?
0: VO2max, volume of oxygen is the measure of how fit you are, how much you can transfer oxygen to the working muscles. So the oxygen is measured in milliliters and the working muscles is kilograms, a measure of how fit you are at maximal exercise.
1: I want to backtrack a little bit to what we mentioned earlier on the perceived exertion. How can we use that as a tool to improve our training? Well, it's it's a really easy and
0: simple tool. You've got to take a little bit of time to calibrate it with you. Uh, So rate of perceived exertion is how hard you are working at at a given task. So a fitter person will have a lower rate if you're doing the same task and the same weight. But what it does, it tailors it to you, tailors the exercise to you. Well, this is how I feel. I I feel like a nine and I'm doing 10 burpees a minute. And the other person does well, I feel like a nine if I'm doing 15 burpees a minute. It just really gives feedback to say me, the trainer, but also yourself as to how hard you're working compared to what we want to do and then what state, what condition you are in, what what physical condition, what injuries you've got, what nutrition uh, history you have Um, what you can tolerate
1: this is what i'm discovering to a normal person or to a fit person running might be easy running is really hard for me so i thought to myself okay i'm gonna start easy i'll do 1k and i will start off with a jog and then maybe do a one minute walk and do interval then i measured my heart rate and when i looked at the data i was shocked that my jog was in the really high heart rate level what do i should i do a power walk instead of a jog i don't know
0: So your heart rate was in zone three. Your RPE must have been then beat at an eight. Okay, well then that's that's correlated, that's fine. But I think you maybe you wanna reduce how far you're jogging by a little bit. But I think your walk, jog, walk, jog aspect is a good way of doing that.
1: I was running 90 seconds and resting 60. So maybe I should cut down to 60 seconds. Flip the ratio. Ah oh, Yeah, flip
0: the ratio because your heart rate is not coming down yeah. enough in the 60 seconds. Now, you can play around with the ratios whichever way you want, however evil you want to be as a trainer or as a person. But really, if you're starting out, be easy, be kind. Instead of uh, 90 seconds on, 60 off, well, at least do 90 seconds on, 90 seconds off. If you've got the heart rate monitor, as a, and this is, becomes the fart leak method, is that, okay, well, I'm going to run or jog or power walk up a hill until my heart rate gets up into zone three. And then maybe I can make my phone beep when I get there or I just have a look. And then, okay, now I'm going to walk slowly. So it's active recovery rather than just dead stop until my heart rate comes down to zone one again. And then when it comes to zone one, I'll go again. So it's based on the zone that you're
1: in and not the time.
0: Yes, that is, then it's tailored to you not to some textbook that's tailored to you. So that's called fartlek, and there's different ways of, of manipulating that fartlek technique.
1: How do you spell that?
0: F-A-R-T-E-L-E-K. It's a Scandinavian uh, running style. I think it's Pavel Pavel uh the Finnish Olympic gold medalist.
1: That is really helpful. I feel this is really important for the listeners to hear because this will prevent injuries and that you can do it for a long time. Yeah. Is there a time frame that you would suggest for people to exercise because I was guilty of being in the gym for two hours and it was just a waste of life.
0: If you sort of analyse most people who are in the gym for two hours, there'd be a lot of Instagramming, WhatsApping, chatting to people and it becomes like going to a pub, there's just no alcohol, it's, just, it's a leisure time. Now, for some people, that's a great aspect of stress release and having wellness in their lives and you can't sort of knock them but if they start complaining about not getting results and you go, okay, well, what actually are you doing there? Okay, so you go there, you do a warm-up, you do your, your reps and sets, you do your workout in an hour, and I think an hour is plenty. If you want to get in, okay, I well, do weights and then do cardio, well, you can do that. Well, why don't you just do cardio the next day?
1: What's the minimum we can spend for oh, results?
0: Isn't that the million-dollar question? I, mean, I don't know the answer to that. I, I would say, like, just going back to the HIV and the recovery that I was talking about, But if you did 20 minutes at that conversational pace, maybe even did a couple of 10 second little intervals, a little bit of a puff, you would get a positive outcome on your recovery and your wellness. Now, if you wanted to get fitter, then you could still do that and do interval training. You know, you're not going to win the next Spartan race on that. If you haven't exercised for 10 years, then do the 20 minute one. But if you're in a, a, a Hong Kong boxing team, Aiming to go to the Olympics, twenty minutes is probably not enough. But of course, you can make it if you know how to, what to manipulate.
1: What are there to manipulate?
0: Well, it's, it's FIT. This is the easy way. FIT, F I T T: frequency, intensity, type, and time. So they all had trade-offs. Okay, so the so the type, the type is okay. Am I doing weight training? Am I doing stretching? Am I doing rowing? Am I doing running, cycling? The the time it's inverse to intensity so the higher the intensity the shorter the time because you just can't you 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 run out of energy and the frequency could be reps and each rep when you're doing weight training has a different physiological effect on your body whether you want toning you want power you want strength you want uh, muscle size um and i think the best best reps and sets while i'm thinking about it eight to twelve about four sets that's the sort of the best cost benefit analysis, return on investment uh, weight uh, reps. Uh, but the frequency is also how many times a the week are you going to do. I wouldn't recommend you do the same thing seven days a week. Wouldn't re- I'd recommend you do have one whole rest day. In fact, when I'm looking at putting programs together, I put the recovery in first. That's, that's because of my hangover from being adrenal fatigued, not having enough recover.
1: Let's talk about recovery while we're here. Yep. What are different methods that people can look into recovery? How can people implement this into the whole fitness schedule?
0: The number one is sleep. So sleep is recovery. If you go to bed between 10 and 2, it's physical. The, the systems is physical recovery. And then sleep between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. is psychic or spiritual recovery. That's in the time zone that you're at because of what the moon does and what the sun does and all the way complex neuroscience going on, which I'm not ever going to try and explain. But what if I get eight hours sleep in the middle of the day because I'm a shift worker? Well, okay, that's good, but I I still don't think you're going to get that that same uh, regeneration or recovery. Uh, So people who do shift workers are definitely at a disadvantage. So avoid blue light, a couple of hours before you go to sleep I oh, man how impossible is that for our teenagers you know we're gonna have some serious problems <laughs> with their sleep habits because you have the, the, the light makes you think it's summer or makes you think you're awake and here's the problem is that when you when it's summer when there's bright lights you think oh what what's around out there oh it's carbohydrates I'm gonna have carbohydrates which is sugar uh, you see, already where I'm going. So I mean, you're going to have the, you're going to have the sugar and chocolate and whatever popcorn and and you know, seven up when you go to the pitches. bright light. So you eat this because it's summer. You think it's summer, so you should be awake. Summer, you store fat for the winter, and sugar does that. So you feed up on sugar. So there's a big trap. <laughs> so blue light does that. So quieten down the blue light for after dinner. You could have um, some beeswax candles. I'm not sure where you can find them, but there's some serious gourmet candle makers in in Hong Kong, that's for sure. You could have a hot bath to relax you. Uh, Epsom salts with that would be even better. Uh, Start to get some electrolytes in your body, which incidentally, if you're reaching for chocolate, it's probably because you're low in magnesium, and magnesium is one of the electrolytes also, which will help you sleep as well. So there's a few fitness people out there who will say, okay, the first thing you're going to do when I sign you on the dot line, here's some magnesium supplements, take that and you'll sleep better. So you can also take melatonin, and melatonin is the precursor to sleep. Now incidentally, what I say to people is get sunlight, 15 minutes to 30 minutes of direct sunlight every day, because that helps with vitamin D. Vitamin D is also helps with serotonin, which is a feel-good hormone, which and serotonin is a precursor to melatonin, which helps you go to sleep. It's kind of odd, but, but that's the yin and yang. Yeah. So it's a balance of sleep and sunlight. So get 15 to 30 minutes of direct sunlight a day, and that'll help you sleep. On top of that, you want to have some omega-3 fat. So where the best source would be uh, animal, free-range organic animal fat, but olive oil will do it, coconut oil will do it, avocados will do it as well if you're a vegetarian, if you don't eat things with eyes. Because uh, that cholesterol helps with the production of vitamin D and also with sex hormones as well, which is cortisol. So all these chemical reactions can go down rabbit holes. Also, if your mind is really like, stressed out with, with too many, it's overwhelmed, what I do when I'm, I have a journal and I just write poetry or prose or just write the stuff, so I get it out of my brain and put it on, the, put it on a piece of paper. You could even take that piece of paper, screw it up and throw it in the bin or burn it or, or, or whatever, but just get it out of your, your brain somewhere else. You could you know, meditate, concentrate on breathing, stretch your tension away like I was saying before
1: changing gear a little bit. Let's talk about athletic posture because I know you're an advocate of that. So can you expand on that and how how we can achieve this posture that you're talking about and how it affects us?
0: All right. So I said I said to you before um you can learn more about a person in an hour of exercise than then you can in a year of conversation. So I'm a gymnastic judge since I was like 12. Uh, just international competitions, and then I'm a, I watch people move all day, that's what I do, so even you know, walking down the street. So you can tell people, how, a lot about people, how they move, how they walk. You can tell if they're injured, are they're carrying the backpack. If they, I watch people when they run. Um, but you can also tell people a lot about a person, what's their poise. So if you if you go to, say, to you're trying to get into a nightclub and the, and the bouncer's got their hands on the hips and standing like they're at military attention, you say, oh, I'm not going to mess with that guy. Uh, but if they're sort of all folded over and sort of like this, which is more like a depressed person's posture, you're going to try and push your luck to get to the front of the line. But you think, oh, they're a bit of a pushover because they're not in a line. So posture is about being in a line. If you're standing up, it means your ankles, knees, hips, shoulders, and ears are in a, a straight line. That gives you a neutral spine. And when you're in a line your your skeleton is supporting the weight of your muscles and organs, etc. Now, there's a lady called Amy Cuddy, and she has a really great TED Talk, 18-minute TED Talk. Um, I forget the name of it, but it's like power and posture. And she talks about if you're in good posture, you produce testosterone and you release cortisol. Yeah, Testosterone for men and women. Of course, men, women don't have as much as men, but... It's a power posture. And then if you have poor posture, you sort of fold it over, you're sort of coming into a fetal position like you're in a computer at the end of the day, which everybody, including me, do, is that you're producing more cortisol, which is not good because that's your resilience score goes down. So to have have good posture also means you're more efficient at moving and you're less likely to get injured. Now, you are what you repeatedly do and if you do uh let's say a lot of boxing your body will turn into a boxer with your your shoulders up by your ears and you're hunched over so you're protecting yourself from getting hit so with my with my boxers i say okay when you walk through that door and all my clients when you walk through that door you're an athlete athlete has that posture we've been talking about when you get into the boxing ring you can be a boxer because if you don't you get knocked out So there's posture exercise. I think yoga is really good, especially if it's one-to-one yoga. Uh, Group yoga is a little bit harder to monitor as you're an instructor. I think it's a nightmare with the amount of detours some yoga instructor uh, gives. Uh, Pilates, of course, that's all about posture. When I'm being judged in gymnastics or sport aerobics, you get marked for your posture or marked off, I should say. It's all about deducting in gymnastics. why well, I gave up uh, judging. It's just I'm always taking away from people. So in my posture, when I said that, I'm always, it's like, oh. Uh.
1: Let's break it down to where are a couple of places in the body that most people need work on and give us some tips on how to just easily correct them.
0: Well, well, for sure, everyone is tight between uh, their, in their thoracic spine, their T-spine, which is basically the, the, the bottom of their sternum, their breastplate. Uh, which say in females would be where the bra strap is, and then to the base of their neck. That's called the T spine. And most people, say 35 and up, have been sat at a desk for a long time, so they round forward. So when you do the overhead squat, and well, you do it if you're doing a normal squat with the arms by your side, you can get down. But if you put your arms up and you can't, you fall over or whatever, it's because there's no flexibility in your thoracic spine. Let's say your rib cage would be another way to make it simple. Uh, so that needs to open up.
1: How do you do that?
0: The easiest way I do is I just roll up a towel about the size of my fist and I just put that in about that, about that spot between the shoulder blades, somewhere around there, somewhere. doesn't have to be the exact point. Don't worry if it's not. You'll know. And bend your knees, lie on it, concentrate on diaphragmatic breathing because the diaphragmatic belly breathing uh, will absolutely make you relax. And after about three minutes... It, would be a dis, it should be a little bit discomfort to start with, after three minutes, your, your body will say, oh, okay, this is not too bad, I'll relax now, and we will open it up. Um, so that's the easiest way, no equipment, and of course, there's hundreds of exercises to do. Um, what I would call is a, a prone cobra, where you lie on your front, keep your hips on the ground, and you lift your torso off the ground to get them so and the, the, the towel exercise opens you up and then the prone cobra keeps you there it activates the muscles that are dormant from leaning into the computer it makes them work and hold that for at least for I, I get all my clients to do it at the end of every session even one of my clients says, oh it's the end of the session isn't it because we do this and consistently we've done that for five years
1: yeah, I think it's important to highlight that exercising with the correct posture will prevent injuries and allow you to grow and progress quicker.
0: It's hundred percent grow and progress, be more efficient at movement, be, and which means more powerful, or faster, or graceful. Or, yeah, take a or video
1: or photo, and while you're doing that movement, it's so insightful, isn't yes. it?
0: Yes. and I do sometimes. And I was talking to a. My, uh, one of my long term clients 10 years clients and he says "Oh, you know, I'm walking down the street and I'm saying I'm not sure if Ross is going to be watching me videoing me prodding me in the, in, the, in the chest here which I don't do females of course but I prod them here you only have to do it a couple of times and then I say okay walk from here and so and, and I have with clients many times where we just sort of converge at the gym and they don't know I'm this so I take out my camera I film them walking so they don't absolutely know and then I'll, you know, sometimes if I can, I'll send it to them, and because I'm going to meet them a minute later, just to sort of not to freak them out, but but they become aware, and that's poise, and that's your it's your aura as well. It's your your demeanor is what I what I've told other people. It's your demeanor.
1: Absolutely. I want to talk about the resilience score that you mentioned earlier. I believe when you Exercise And when you take care of yourself, our quality of life, our longevity improves. Being adaptive is such a big part of this equation. Can you expand on how training or lifestyle plays a role in building that resilience muscle? Uh,
0: yeah, resilience is a, a fantastic word. It's sort of come around in the last two or three, four years maybe. Before that was described as energy reserve or reserve. And if you look up the dictionary meaning, which I kind of often do, I'm geeky like that, it's bounce back from adversity. I look at the heartbeat, like I have a heartbeat, it's one of the symbols, the ECG. And you you look at the heartbeat, so it's this flat line, and then it's an up bit and a down bit, and up bit and a down bit, and then a flat line again. I call that chaos. And then the rest of it is, you know, being normal. So we learn from that chaos. If we just keep a flat line, you're not learning anything, you're not going to grow, you're not stimulated to do anything, there's no stress at all. Uh, So there's going to be no resilience. But if you give it a bit of chaos and you bounce back, you learn from the chaos, you get that stimulus, you go to some extreme and then come back, then you will learn either physically, mentally, spiritually or emotionally.
1: So what does that chaos look like?
0: Chaos could be H-I-I-T too many times and you get adrenal fatigue and you burn out and then you change direction in your life. It could mean that you have a heart attack. It could mean you have a stroke and then you realize you look at your lifestyle and think, man, I shouldn't have done that exercise session with the the Navy SEAL uh, on three hours sleep and hangover with all these other alpha males. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, or I should have, you know what, I shouldn't have made my work, my hobby. I should have had something else in my life because when I retire and I look, oh, what am I gonna do now? I have no no identity and that's stressful. Having these crisis may motivate you to, to have a look in, at your whole life and, and sort of maybe change direction or just modify what you're doing so that you can have longevity. What I do in the gym uh, once people have got that wellness level, so I go wellness and then strength and conditioning, which I call resilience training, and then peak performance, which is tweaking what they really need to do, that can be, that can be the executive or the stay-at-home person who looks after the house, or it can be an elite athlete. But once you've got a certain level of wellness, you've got a platform. So wellness is my platform for performance. Remember, the highest performing athletes are not always the most well Sorry, but my athletes, I make sure that they're well first. Otherwise, they have a short career. In resilience training, what I do is I I, I take the formats that I do with the fit, and I mix them up so I make them do make them kind of really hard but hard mentally, and and you'll have a figure that yeah, that they have to adjust to. And if they keep plowing through, then they'll feel good about themselves because what at the beginning of the session seemed impossible, but I just broke it down, broke it down, broke it down. And now I feel good because I achieved it because I kept going. And if you do that with enough training, say three months training, your resilience score is going to go up a lot because you got fitter. Your fitness capacity is up. So resilience is also capacity.
1: I think this is a good time to go to the sense of purpose, to kind of wrap it all up in... Why do we even train?
0: I've always struggled with a definition of purpose. So I think you, you have to develop develop a purpose. Now, what is it? the purpose? I would encourage you to develop a purpose which is altruistic. So it has a higher purpose, not just the purpose of your dress size. Uh, it helps other people and you love it. So there's passion. Because that passion becomes an energy reservoir for you to keep going. It energizes you for the day. So it's uh, what energizes me. You know, I was talking about the sports psychology sessions that I've been doing with these Olympic sailors. Uh, It's just so passionate for me because I've done all these competitions, made all these mistakes mentally and overtraining and, and different relationships with different coaches and all that. So I made all these mistakes. And then you take that experience and then sort of a little bit of Book, book knowledge and you put them together which is always constantly evolving and you think man that really charges me up that's just what I want to do going forward is just to help people mentally and of course I can draw on 30 years of movement experience and different systems and all that sort of stuff so my my purpose is really and it always has been is, is to help people because I get such a reward for helping people of course I get paid and there's some conflict there sometimes it 's do something that you enjoy doing now, whether that 's taking out the garbage you do it with love or it's it 's t- getting a job that you really enjoy being there and then there 's all those quotes about you don 't if you have your, live your passion you don 't work a day in your life, all this sort of stuff, uh, but mostly the job i 've been doing is helping people. I enjoy it mostly you know or even love it, I, especially if the person 's really receptive and they they um that they change and develop for the good which i have to say if i've got clients that come back for 10 years three times a week i must be doing something right but i will say i I don't the way i coach doesn't work for everybody but it's worked for a, a few people that's for sure
1: yeah and i think even sometimes in terms of um movement one of my purposes is just to move without pain you know sometimes we can take that for granted
0: well yeah for sure one one of my goals for my clients is move pain free which is not as easy right because sometimes
1: we believe that the pain will stay with us forever especially if it's been there for over a year
0: yeah and there's many modalities to help heal rehabilitate correct
1: i noticed that you're also certified with dns What's your take on that? Oh,
0: Dynamic neuromuscular stability is a course. So it's out of the schools in Prague. The guy called uh, Pavel Kovac is the guy that's taken over from another guy called Vojta. And the Vojta used to work with babies. And the babies have different um, pressure points in their body and different systems. So this is where you sort of get into the neuroscience. But essentially it's taking these archetypal movement patterns and making sure they work in the, in the adult body. Everyone has got infant developmental patterns which I use and I call them crawls and so you see all these people doing animal crawls in the park nowadays there's lockdown so they come back to these animal developmental patterns so crawling now people who did a lot of crawling are generally more coordinated in sports now yeah now if you lived on floors like this marble floor you probably didn't want to crawl because it hurt so consequently your coordination level won't be as good as someone who did so getting back onto your quadruped movement patterns helps your brain with coordination now at the same time when you unlock the coordination in your brain it, de- it develops um, different hormones to stimulate growth so it's like this to and fro uh, relationship people these days lack that i find in this country for sure and so any cross directional pattern so if i cross my arms and my legs like that cross the center line, and it helps balance out my right and left hemisphere of the brain to help with coordination. So DNS sort of talk a little bit about that. They talk about, which is a revelation, they talk about make the movement an assessment and the assessment of movement. And I really liked that concept because I've come from a system where you spend two hours assessing and measuring every little thing, and I did that for like 20 years So I can measure everything and I can say, well, I know more. I I could even predict someone's golf swing by their muscle tightness and weakness. But it becomes a huge barrier to people. But if you can can make a movement like an overhead squat, and if you watch it enough, and if you know what muscles are involved, you can learn about the person and you can help them. Uh, So that's the biggest takeaway for me from DNS, and they've got different levels.
1: Talking about the crossbody access... Are there any kind of exercise or movement that you would recommend for people to try well, out?
0: Well, I, I, I have a, a long form warm up and a short form warm up. The long form warm up has something in it called a cross, a standing cross crawl. So you're standing up, uh, with your feet uh, hip width apart, and your arms above you, which is incidentally is one of the power poses of Amy Cuddy, <laughs> where she says even blind people, when they cross the finish line, whether they win or not, they put their arms up like this. So that position there. But what you do is you take the, the left elbow and you take, bring it to the outside of the right knee. See how that's across the center line, which is my nose. And then you come back. Now you can then alternate or you can do the same. So that's, that's one exercise. Now, if you were transitioning from mathematics to say art or English at school, that's what you do. And so uh, the Brain Gym, which is another organization, they, they teach that, they have a little booklet.
1: The school should implement this. They should.
0: And also crawl, animal crawls in their fitness classes, yeah, especially the contralateral ones, which I call a tiger, but most other people call it a bear crawl.
1: I've just got a few more questions for sure. us. So can you tell us about the books that you have written and is there something in particular that stands out and you want to share with the listeners? Um,
0: so I've, I've written three books. And they were a breakdown of the one book that I wanted to write, which is all about stress management and wellness, which I've started writing in 2009. But I realized, oh, man, this is going to take so long. I'll break it down. The first book I wrote was an e-book, so how to calm your mind. And I put all my sports psychology um, knowledge and how to relax and deal with stress. I put that into an ebook. and I have an Enzo circle as the front cover, which I did and I designed. It took me about 50 times to figure it out. And the Enzo circle is a Japanese meditation, if you like. And normally it's not a full circle. It's not joined up, which is that wabi-sabi. It's, not, it's perfect because it's not perfect and embrace that aspect of it. But in my mindset at the time was, no, it's got to be a, a, a circle because it's the mind and it's, and it's, got, to be, it's got to be perfect. I've since done a few more sports psychology papers, so I want to expand on that. And you know, it's a f- quite a few more years. I've done a lot more mental study since then. So I'm trying to put them together. I'm a big mind mapper, so I'm using. Uh, I'm I'm formulating another version of that. I digress. Uh, The second book, which was on the mobility, which is that row mobility, um, the flexibility where I sort of distill yoga into five poses and then break those poses down into anatomy trains and fascial lines and this sort of stuff. Uh, So that's called Row Movement as Medicine. So that's where I, as I said, I distill Eastern chakra and traditional Chinese medicine, Qigong, into Western corrective exercise and posture.
1: What are those five movements?
0: Overhead squat is one forward bend with straight legs is two warrior one uh, and then warrior two and the revolved triangle so we have a squat a bend the warrior one i call it a push which is this frontal line warrior two i call a pull i'm sort of stretching what is a pull but it's also a, a deep lunge but it's it has a, a relationship with the posterior oblique sling without being sounding too technical but how the muscles work to pull so the revolve triangle is the twist and that twist combines all of them actually because there's a lot of hamstring involvement
1: well so what is the concept behind these five postures
0: i've used this system for quite a while and it's really good and then but it's really interesting to t- i live in hong kong let's try it in with and i studied some qigong let's pull that in and because it comes a bit more entertaining and you can apply the emotion of traditional chinese medicine so each element of traditional Chinese medicine has a positive and negative, or a yin and yang emotion. So I don't talk too much about that in the book, but you have to recognise that your mindset and your intention has, has affects your posture and how you carry yourself, and your mood is um, shown up in the way that you do exercise, or all the exercise that you choose to do represents. And it becomes that's quite a very interesting subject to, to go into. Uh, but at a simple level the tiger which is the squat a tiger lives in a jungle that the element is wood Um, tigers are angry which is one of the emotions of the wood element the positive emotion for the wood element is kindness so if you're angry all the time do the squat, but your intention in your mind is to be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself, you relax, and you go deeper into the squat, and the squat's a really huge movement that we do all day, to sit down and stand up again. Uh, so you have all of that
1: benefit. So what do you want the readers to walk away from reading your books? Oh,
0: I didn't talk about the other book. The, the bottom line of fat loss. It should really be titled Wellness and Weight Loss because it is a wellness book, and... It's holistic, which is the training that I've been doing up till then, and still do now. I mean, it's all one—you know, just come for just for fitness, and, and that's one of the things I hate being called a personal trainer is because they expect you to be sweating and puffing. But it, no, it's your whole lifestyle, it's your mindset, it's food and exercise. So, the bottom line of fat loss is about lifestyle, um, how you choose to live your life, and it's about your mindset. So you can you can be ill from having a poor mindset, or you can have a bad mindset. In terms of this book, Oh, I don't, I don't feel well, oh, I'll have food. If I have sugar, it makes me feel good because it releases the serotonin. I feel good about that. Oh, I'm going to have more because I don't want to feel good about it. And you eat more than you possibly expend, so you put on weight. Uh, in terms of the spiritual aspect, people who uh, put on weight, sometimes it's a shield from the society. You know, it's protection. It's protection. Yeah. So there's also that. And then sometimes you also think, well, if you take that away from a person, what what are they now?
1: So what's the takeaway for the readers that you would like them to walk away with? Well, the
0: takeaway, and again, I'd hopefully a lot of my clients could answer this. I talk about life. Life is lifestyle. L for lifestyle. I for intention, which is mindset. F for food and E for exercise. L-I-F-E and so if i distill everything i've learned over the years into because you got to make it simple love your life so love your life whatever that looks like make sure in your life you have something that you really enjoy doing so but i'll use the word love at this stage calm your mind everyone who has a calm mind is going to operate at a higher level being in the zone vertical dimension i think one of your podcast ladies talking about Eat real food as opposed to processed food. If you eat real food, you're less likely to overeat uh, or or get issues, digestion issues. And then enjoy regular and varied exercise. That's how I would distill not only wellness, but also I would distill performance and everything else in between. So if you can find your own way of doing that uh, rather than following someone else's to the letter, uh, that's great. That's empowering as opposed to, oh, I've got to follow this one. If I don't, I'm stressed out. And it's, oh, you've lost the point. Um, but little step at a time. And if you fall off the wagon, just dust yourself off and get back on again.
1: I want to touch on the idea of being a perfectionist. What is your insight and what would you like to share with our audience?
0: Well, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I haven't been a perfectionist for like five minutes. No, it's like that. It could be an addiction. But it's a mindset. Now, most of my life, I've done gymnastics or sport aerobics, and I did a, a education, which was a high level, and you've got to measure stuff to the, you know, and then you're tied into the system. But in gymnastics, there's a code of points, and it says if you don't point your toes, you lose point one. If you bend your knees, it's point three. If you fall on your bottom or you fall off the apparatus, it's point four deduction. And if you're entering competition, Sure, you want to do a good performance, but of course you want to win. You want to be perfect. You get a perfect 10, Nani, Komenichi, 1976. They've, dis- they've stopped doing that system since. They actually give you points now. That's, that's what everyone thinks about when they think about gymnastics. So you're being perfect to a code of points, and it's about if you get a deduction, it means you're not good. So your self-esteem comes not in the fact that I got 9.7, it's I'm, I'm 0.3, not good. So you can see how that's just the wrong way to...
1: Just messes with your head.
0: Yeah, messes with your head. You go through life, part of my dentist gymnastic, part of it's about being perfect, and then you have this persona, you have the mask about that's how I walk around, and even in the fitness industry, you know, 10 years ago, people would be saying that, you know, Ross is really anal and pedantic, and that's because I was, because I knew such a high standard and... I was following that because so I wanted to be like a faculty member, or you know, had that status of being that tied into that that um, that system and get that rank and all that sort of stuff. So you you start living your life for that rank, and not and you stop you know being who you really are. For me, when you become a perfectionist, you choke yourself, and you're so focused on the tiny, you know, the gold medal or the I don't know, fancy car or watch or some of like that or job. Is you choke yourself, you start being way too serious, and I know, I know I've got a huge reputation about being serious. You choke yourself trying to be perfect, and that's not what life. Life's not about that. You you, you got to stop, stop yourself and smell the roses a little bit, and then you grow as a as a human being, as opposed to a gymnastic coach, personal trainer, uh, ultra marathon, dragon boat coach.
1: How have you evolved from a very, I guess, pedantic anal coach, high performer to the person that you are? What lessons have you learnt?
0: I've learnt so many lessons. I read a book called Play As If Your Life Depends On It. And it was the most inspirational book I've read on movement, on exercise. And I thought, you know what, you can just play. And you learn just as much as playing as you do of following a focused program. So you got to lighten up, have some levity, because no one wants to go and train with someone who's really serious all the time. Unless, you know, they're a serious person, that's what attracted them to you in the first place. But you've got to have levity and fun while you're training, but still keep mindful. There's time for conversations, there's time for sweat. In terms of being perfectionist, you know, stop and smell the roses and like... Kind of just take a breath and just just be, be a human being, not doing. all And the how time. is that
1: different now?
0: I think I can definitely laugh at myself a lot more. I, I try and make my clients a little bit more lighthearted, especially my elite athletes, because they're just as competitive as me, and they need it because it's stressful being serious. To be honest, it's it's being chased by a lion. So how's it different? I mean, I did a lot of in, in self-growth work for the last sort of six or seven years, and it's sometimes it's, And what I've come up with in terms of the X factor, which is what something I promote to these high-performance people, is letting go of the limitations of the learning of others, but let go of you trying to be what someone else has been before you, and then just let that go. Take that as experience, and then but just be in the moment, be present and go with your trust in your intuition, your experience and you know, see how that goes. You could be wrong for a little bit, but if you learn from that failure.
1: God forbid if you're wrong.
0: Exactly, exactly. Or oh, you know, if my brother and sister are listening to this right now, they'll be even my friends in New Zealand, they'll be uh, uh, rolling over. No, well, they're still around, but you can be wrong. Now, I, my biggest teachers are my children. Um, my son can beat me in running races. You know, he has done for so many years. And it's like, whoa, that's a big moment.
1: <laughs> Are you more pleasant to be around?
0: I would hope so. I, I, I would hope so a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I know the picture I'm just painting there. But, you know, uh, before, all elite athletes, and I was an elite athlete. And I went to 10 world championships. So I won a world title. I got 16th in the world. Uh, I was one of the top top trainers and 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 i that was my identity in new zealand i'm selfish was selfish when you have kids you can't be so selfish but elite athletes you know they have to be selfish because they're trying to win but i am teaching them the lesson that you have to be a nice human being uh for sure and you know that that means saying hello saying goodbye means saying thank you At the end of the lesson, I make my kids, I don't have to make them anymore, but when they've been coached by someone else, I say, all right, go say, thank you, coach. And if they didn't hear them, I say, they didn't hear you, say it again.
1: Yeah, I find it, it was really refreshing in our first meeting. One of the first things you said was your ego in the early years as a master trainer and all of that. and. It's been such a humbling journey for you and just having that clarity to see that is is a great lesson to all you know our past does not define us and we can evolve and change to be the person we want to be yeah
0: yeah for sure so yeah in the fitness industry there's not much career path and you're trying to define yourself uh whatever as superior or as knowing stuff or um which i can tell you it doesn't get you any more clients <laughs> um but you you want to be a master trainer or a master instructor because it gives you status and that's a career path and it makes you feel good uh but a lot of these courses and i've been on a few of them and master trainers quite a lot of things but uh products you really a master salesman, they probably won't like me listening to this, but you're a master salesman and you regurgitate the manual. You're a master at regurgitating the manual. Now, to me, that's not masterful. That just means you can rote learn something. What's masterful is taking that, taking that course and then teaching the course to your knowledge. And if you've got a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, you can go off what I call off-piste, off the course a little bit to make a point but don't go too far off off the course, which is easy to do for sure, and anyone who's been on my courses recently will know that's true, I don't always finish on time. You get that status when you first get that status, you think okay well i'm I'm on the top I'm in the room now, and I'm the power pose guy, and what I say goes, and yeah, I made a few mistakes with with that I, you you sort of get there's adulation about how the power of it, you sort of get intoxicated with it and you'll say things that are out, not in your station above your pay grade or your station or whatever and you sometimes you offend people that's an abuse of power you're there to to sure, instruct the course but you're not to make them there to feel bad or you know this is my standards you need to live up to my standards you know this sort of stuff this is the standard what so what I what I tell people nowadays okay you're in this class for an eight hours this is the way we do it in this course Tomorrow, you can do whatever you want. But just be here, be present with the system. Sure, you need some ego to get up, to have the confidence to get up and speak an eight-hour course. But it's when you start training and mentoring others. Now, I've I've done some ways where I've come up and, yeah, I'm the, what I say, goes. You know, I've been that. But people don't like you, which means that they don't listen to you, which means you're not going to influence them at all. And you've got this great system, but they're not buying into it because you're a, you know... Don't like you.
1: Well, Ross, we're going to wrap up this interview with a few questions. What is the book that you have gifted the most or made the most Im- impact on you?
0: The book that I would like in terms of wellness um, by George Leonard is a small little, it's a real easy, simple read. It's called Mastery by George Leonard, and he's he was an Akito instructor, but also an aircraft instructor. So he's really good at instructing people and he has talks about mastery keys is what is he mastery the keys to for success and, and long-term fulfillment uh, so that's the book that i probably give out the most but one that i've come across in the last couple of years is called bounce to me it's you don't have to have pristine perfect situations to be the best at something or to learn something to a high standard in fact it's the other way around there you you if you train with lessen ideal equipment or situations like we are right now with just you've only just got body weight or trx or bands or, or something like that outdoors you get really good at that aspect it'll actually put you ahead of someone who's had perfect excellent stuff all the way through because it's made you over like like a blind person's really good at hearing it'll make you compensate like that which gives you a skill that people haven't necessarily bothered to train so when I'm coaching rugby, you know, some people say, oh, this ball's flat or this ball's the wrong size and it says perfect because you have to, over, you have to uh, learn a skill to adapt to something. So there's some resilience. And then in terms of transferring the left brain logic, Western brain into an Eastern creative enlightenment, love and faith brain is a book called da- by David Hawkins and not, it's not the guy in the wheelchair. always get them confused over the years but it's called power versus force the hidden determinants of human nature and that talks about the power of language and and how how words have different resonance and frequency and vibrations and you want you want the higher vibrations the more dense you are and the more attractive you are as a person the better demeanor the more higher purpose the more overall influence you have if you if you have shame That's one of the lowest sort of vibration. And he calibrates it using kinesiology with a lot of people, this sort of stuff. But it helps you, helps me transition these words words and and the the power you have with these words. So uh, you have these negative words like guilt, shame, fear, depression, all of these which create this poor posture that we're talking about. And then they're all negative, so they drain your life force of energy. They drain your resilience, especially if, you, if you're always thinking these words all the time. And when you speak, you say these bad words about yourself. Oh, that's pathetic. You often hear perfectionists say things like that. I call that stinking thinking. And that's draining your life force. And when you get to the word of courage, courage is where it switches to positive and just to give you sort of some context positive is 2 uh, courage is 200 shame is 20 and it's exponential it's not just linear it's exponential so courage is 200 courage is the crane which is the push pattern which opens your heart courage is also the lung uh, and metal um element for for heart you do this to open your chest open your love to the world Sort of thing. So that's that's what courage is, and the opposite of courage is depression. So then, then we come up to love your life as a high vibration, it's five hundred, and then enjoy. Joy is five hundred and forty. Calm your mind is peace, which is seven hundred on this thousand, and thousands of enlightenment. And there's not many people in the world have had enlightenment. You know, you got Buddha, Jesus Christ, Krishna, uh, the prophet. You know, all of these people. Uh, Dalai Lama is probably the closest example that we know of at the moment. So the power of the words. So that's why I've selected love your life, calm your mind, eat real food. Uh, talk about real is reason, which is left brain. And that's that's uh, just before love on this particular map of consciousness scale. And then um, enjoy. Enjoy. So if you can enjoy exercise, you're more likely to do it. And you're going to correct your posture and all of these other things that we've all sort of talked about. So it sort of came together just now, didn't it? Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and guiding to achieve joy and pleasure rather than punishing ourselves.
0: About being perfect and right. And it's not about that. It's about a bit more giving. more, al- more Altruistic is way, way better. But sadly, you know, the altruistic people in the world is because they've got a lot already. If you've got all of the, you know, struggling to pay the rent, struggling to eat, school fees, all of these things, there's no way that you can be all this love light and lightness and all that. You can't because you need to satisfy your reptilian instinct, which is, is wellness, right? So that's sleep, it's food, it's it's water, it's movement, pain free, and it's having calm calm mind. So that's wellness. You have to satisfy that before you can have performance. And, you know, the second level after wellness is being being together, having a, a social affiliation. Like this Dragon Boat team, the Seagulls, their, their culture is the best culture. Drinking team with a paddling problem is their, their yeah. And But they are the most winningest team in Hong Kong, uh, in a corporate team, corporate mixed, or, sorry, mixed team. Uh, Their culture is fantastic and every year I see, because I've been involved for 14 years and many, many of captains and many people, they last about three years and there's transition. I've seen many people have taken the captainship role and they've added to the culture of it and also at the same time they've added to their their work CV and uh, they've grown immensely as people. It's very wonderful to see but community is the next thing because we're mammals, we want to herd and then, so that's the, the second brain. And then the, the third brain is the neocortical brain. So that's about communication and influence and creativity and spirituality. But you're not going to think of those things until you've got a full belly and you feel safe.
1: What is the best lesson you've learned from a teacher or a parent?
0: Straight away, before I do gymnastic competitions or anything, my mum used to say, Do your best. Um, feeling emotional about that but um mum's still around dad's still around i think if i was to add to that do your best and also have fun i think I, i would add something aspect so it's not choking
1: in closing what is your idea of wellness and what can you share with the listeners so they can have a high quality life and a more fulfilling life
0: so wellness for me it's I talked about balance. You can't really have balance. You can have momentary balance. You look at the uh, the night and day. Does the sun ever stop in balance? No. It, it's the yin yang symbol is night and day, up and down like a like a wave. So there's a rhythm. There's a rhythm, and then actually the yin yang symbol is a figure eight, which is the infinity infinity sign. So, and my mum also says another lesson from my mum. Life's ups and downs and rounds about. My mum's also a tai chi instructor. You can't have balance, but if you can adapt to what life throws at you and still maintain health and, and calm mind, well, then I think that's wellness. And so to do that, that's sleep. If you have a calm mind, you can definitely sleep. It's eat real food uh, so that you can have enough energy to, to be energized and to get through your day. It's being able to breathe diaphragmatically because that will relax you. And then move pain free and then water. I drink water and then and it's just presence of mind. You know, it's being here rather than Instagram. And I think, you know, my teenage kids, how much time they spend on these. We're in for a, a hell of a ride in the next 10 years. So, yeah, wellness is just taking care of yourself.
1: And is there anything else that I've missed that you would like to share with the audience?
0: Oh, when I walk out the door, there's probably be a hundred things. But no, I, I think we've had a pretty, pretty comprehensive talk on on a, on a wide range of aspects that relate to wellness. Your questions are are nice to be able to to answer and and be able to share what's been in here and what I read and do and study. So you know, it's it's been a yeah you know, wonderful opportunity to um, to speak and to share. And I'm sure there'll be. A lot of people that hopefully that listen to it that, uh, who know me or think they know me, they will see me in a different perspective.
1: Thank you so much, Ross, for being here and sharing your story, your knowledge, your wisdom. Where can our audience find you?
0: I think Instagram is the, the best place, just Ross Ethorn on Instagram. Um, but I have a YouTube Ross Ethorne with, you know, so there's about 300 videos on there, mostly on exercise, on movements.
1: And your website as well?
0: Oh, my website, rossethorn.com.
1: And where can people buy your books if they're interested?
0: The books are on Amazon. So Kindle and, um, you know, hard copy.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Ross. You're welcome. Thanks, Tony. The show notes of this episode are on my website, www.interested.blog. And if you enjoy this podcast, share it with a friend.